Retrospective podcast continuation of the Transformers retrospective series. Calling all Autobots! Calling all Autobots! Join Garrett. God made us in His image. And Matt. That's a tough one ahead, As they bring in Jen. Oh, I'm I'm good. Now I'm good. Thanks. To proceed with a series that Matt and Garrett started few years ago. What we're about to do is going to be kind of scary. Does Jen have any affinity for this franchise? <clears throat> Excuse me, there's no smooching in front of me, okay? How devastated is Matt that there's a new Transformers film? I am where I'm supposed to be. Will the second absence of Michael Bay from the director's chair actually make Rise of the Beasts an enjoyable experience? Let's go. Find out the answers to these questions and more all coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media. Let's show these alien terrorists what an upgrade looks like. Transformers Rise of the Beast, released June 9, 2023. Budget of this was $200 million. Box office so far, $183.3 million. And this is directed by Stephen Capel Jr. Matt, we have returned to the franchise you have dreaded the most. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's been five years. I've had quite the reprieve from Optimus Prime and his band of miscreants. You have had a reprieve. We're very excited to talk about that. But first, let's talk about the situation we find ourselves in. So for people who listen to the outtakes of the Boogeyman podcast, we mentioned to Adam... Yeah, you're going to be on Transformers. He's like, no, I don't want to be on Transformers. And I was like, okay, well, we have three people who are pretty much disdaining this. Last time we had somebody who was a fan of it. What can I do to liven this up a little bit? I needed a fan. Lo and behold, the woman I live with, the woman I'm getting ready to marry, happens to be a massive Transformers fan. And I was like, you know what? I think it'd be a good idea to maybe bring her on and discuss this movie, which we saw together last night. Miss Jen, are you there? Yes. All right. Now, enlighten Matthew Goudreau up and the audience. Enlighten them on what made you a fan of Transformers. I'm a fan of Transformers because I like, in the first movie, how the Autobot in some aspects, were more human than the humans in the movie. Wow, she took that approach. For people who have been long-time listeners of the site, we've only been in existence a year, but still. In the first three months, me and Jen recorded a drunken commentary <laughs> of the first Transformers movie, where she does kind of get into all that. Now, Goudreau, how do you feel about Jen being a fan of the series? 
Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I'm certainly not going to judge. Uh, I also, I also give her a certain amount of leniency given she has children who are the, like the perfect age when these movies were coming out. Mm-hmm. So I, look, I, I get why people like these movies. And I said some nice things about the first one and I said some really complimentary things about Bumblebee. Two through five, not so much. And honestly, I still don't understand the reverency that a lot of people have for the animated movie. I told Nate this when we did that review all those years ago. You know, I'm not someone who grew up on Transformers, which made this movie all the more confusing that we're going to talk about in the next, however long this is going to go. So I don't fault people for liking these movies. But I I, I think, and I'm not going to repeat word for word what I said on the binge shows, they were endurance tests. Especially, especially that fifth one. I, I mean, it's been a long time since I've I've watched a movie in a theater where I could see the brain cells leaving my body. It, it looked like anybody seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit? At the mm-hmm. end of the at the end of the movie, when the one of the weasels, his soul is trying to leave his body. That was my brain trying to systematically eliminate itself from my head in that theater because I I felt like I was getting dumber. And the moment they tried to explain to me that the Transformers helped free the slaves, I, I almost walked out of the theater. I couldn't believe. Like, like if I was a black person, I'd be insulted. <laughs> now, Jen, you are a fan of the first film. You saw the second one. Are, are you a fan of the entire series or just that first film? Um, The first Two, and I liked Bumblebee, but the other ones, I don't know. I don't think they keep up with the same sentiments they do in the first two in the other ones. They try too hard to recapture that feeling, and I think they go awry. Now, me and Jen had an interesting experience seeing this movie. We It was kind of a, a good week for us because... She has been working for this this company for about seven months. She just got a big promotion, so I wanted to kind of help her celebrate. And we had something planned already to see this movie because she wanted to see it pretty bad. So we had a thing where we went out to dinner, and we went to this movie, and there were, what, Jen, about ten people in that theater, maybe? Is that? Yeah. Ten people in the theater, and we had reclining seats, and we had this whole road to ourselves. And the reclining seats, you obviously there's a wall behind you, so we had we were able to shield everybody around us away pretty much. I did not go to IMAX. I was wanting to, but the screenings were just too late, and she has to work in the morning. And we had a pretty good experience, I believe. We'll get into it when we get into the movie, but I believe one of us dozed off for a little bit <laughs> watching it. But we got out, and let's just say me and her love to talk about these movies when we get out of them. I kind of told her, I said, you need to refrain. Let's not talk about it until we get on the air. But that ride home, I don't know if it was because she, we were both really tired or what, but we didn't say but three words about this yeah. movie. <laughs> I was thinking about it the whole time, though. Oh, my gosh. I got some things to say. <laughs> she has things to say, and I know Goudreau has things to say. Now, Matt, how was your theatrical experience? Packed house. I went on a Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock showing because that was the only time I was available. And I dragged my friend to go see this with me because I told him, and I will tell the listeners, if it wasn't for the fact that we were reviewing this, I would not have paid to watch this. The consumer in me did not care enough to go and watch this on my own free will. Because we are doing this here is the only reason I watch this. And I need to ask this question because I still don't have a definitive answer. One of you might know. Is this a sequel to Bumblebee? 
or is this a sequel to the Michael Bay films? Great question. And that is a question that Cabell has been very, let's just say he has avoided answering that question for the most part in the press. What the, what the producer, Lawrence, and his last name is very, very long, but his, <laughs> uh, his answer is pretty much that, look, we did make a sequel to Bumblebee. This is pretty much Bumblebee 2. But the director has said that when they approached him to do this, they were wanting to do this right around the time that Creed 2 was coming out because he had just done Creed 2, a movie, Matt, that you and I were going to discuss in a few years, a couple years. But he had just done Creed 2, massive success, and then Bumblebee came out the month after Creed 2 had come out. And they went to him and they were like, look, do you want to do this movie? He's like, I don't want to do a direct sequel right after I just did Creed 2, which was a direct sequel. And so they went back to the drawing board, and then producers called them back up, and they were like, what do you feel about Beast Wars? And he was like, I'm in. So what they did was they combined the two things of Bumblebee 2 and the Beast Wars, and they just kind of put it into this script. And this script <laughs> is written by the guys who did Battleship. So <laughs> if that gives you any perspective on what we're about ready to discuss... <laughs> I think there's a theme there. This is written by the guys who did Battleship, a movie I saw in theaters, and I, I do not recommend anybody see that unless they are very drunk and are forced to sit down and watch it. <laughs> so that's pretty much how this came about. Now, Cabell, he, he did do one film that I believe got him Creed. It was a little film about a few skaters who got involved in some drugs, and it was a, it was a human film. So he does do human stories, human love stories, very well. And so I think that also got him in this, because well, no matter what we said about Bumblebee, Jen, you would agree that Bumblebee has more heart than any of the other Transformers films, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, aside from... The first one, and, I mean, I don't remember the exact timeline, but it had the Desert Storm feel, and, you know, mm -hmm. Dad's overseas, and he gets to see his baby laughing, and that had a lot of feel to it. Bumblebee's was more about the relationship aspect with Bumblebee, but, yeah, I would agree it has the, that relationship connotation to it. Uh, I guess... Because um, I, I, I think Bumblebee, the reason why I like that one the most of the films that we've covered is that it really felt more like a boy and his dog story than the first one did. Not the first one had components of that, but it kind of got sidetracked because they had to do so much with the lore and explaining why these robots are here in the first place. Whereas Bumblebee, because there's only a handful of Transformers, it kind of had more time to breathe and the human characters were much more of the focal point than they had ever been, in a positive way. I feel like once Shia LaBeouf left and we were stuck with Marky Mark, the Texas scientist, things <laughs> started to take a turn for the worst as far as all the, the human characters. If you were going to ask me, like, was I dreading going to see this? Because I think that's what the perception a lot of people had when I was shoehorned or strung or shanghaied into reviewing this, whatever term you want to use, they're all fair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was not excited to watch this because it, it didn't look to me like a sequel to Bumblebee. I was confused by the marketing trailers. It looked like more of the same. I thought, for all, if you slap Michael Bay's name on this as the director going into this theater based on the trailers, I would not have been surprised. Well, his name is attached. He is on as a producer. He's still getting a check for this. Him and Spielberg both. 
<laughs> so I don't know if he they went to any meetings. I don't know if they held any meetings with this director. I don't know if they had any suggestions whatsoever. This seems like a separate entity from what we got mm-hmm. in, the, in the Bay Former's films. I shouldn't say I was looking forward to this, but I was looking forward to seeing Jen's excitement at this because Jen was actually pretty excited. I believe we went to a movie a few months ago and we saw a preview for this. And Jen, that was what re- what got you excited, right? Yeah, because I'm such a big fan of the first two and of Bumblebee. I was like, yay, we get to see more of the relationship between the Transformers themselves and the humans, which is the element that I really love. But this was, I don't know. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll get into it. And by the way, Matt, do I have permission to divorce her before I marry her for liking the second one? I guess. I guess not. (laughs) There is a certain gentleman that's on this call when you guys were doing binge that you would refuse to date somebody if they like Transformers. Matt, if you recall, we did when we did Transformers, I did say that exact thing where we when we reviewed that first film, I said if I ever went on a date with somebody and they said they love Transformers, I would never go on another date or call them again. Well, we, sure can enough, the, we can add that to the long list of things we have had to backpedal on. <laughs> <laughs> but your scorecard is significantly filled in much more so than mine is. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> all right. With all that out of the way, unless you guys have anything to add, how about we get into this plot, huh? And boy, what a plot we have here. <sighs> <laughs> we hear that booming 81-year-old voice of Peter Cullen again returning as Optimus Prime, as he explains what they felt the first time the Transformers experienced Unicron, a concept, Matt, that we saw way back in that animated movie we reviewed to begin this retrospective. See, Matt, everything matters. It does, but also, for the record, this is a character that was teased in the fifth Bay film. Mm-hmm. So, again, this is where I really thought it was a, a true sequel to The Last Night, because this was like the one... Of the Transformers characters I know, which are predominantly from the animated movie and the established big continuity, I was like, okay, this is the last big thing, because I swear to God, I said if Megatron was in this movie, I would have just deducted points immediately for lack of creativity. It's it's like uh, it, when, we, when we get back to Superman, it's like, how many fucking times can I see Lex Luthor in a movie? And Megatron mm-hmm. is not Lex Luthor, so take that for what it's worth. So as Prime explains it, we're in 5600 BC as this advanced set of Cybertronians known as Maximals comes under attack from the enemies of this film. No, we're not dealing with Megatron, Matt, as you mentioned. These are called Terracons, and they're headed by Scourge, voiced by a very unrecognizable Peter Dinklage. And I'll go ahead and say, right off the bat, this movie's villain is pretty good. He's defined, and I think Dinklage is perfect as his character. You say unrecognizable. He was the one voice outside of Ron Perlman that I recognized immediately. Really? I, what I like about this is that, going back to the Bay films, believing to be Megatron, but they augmented his voice so much that you can't tell it's him. It doesn't have any of his cadence here, because, look, I've watched Game of Thrones like everybody and their mother, so Peter Dinklage's voice is in, engraved in my mind. doesn't have a British accent here. They lowered his pitch a bit. It's mechanical sounds, uh, as if it was like metal bouncing back and forth in his mouth. He does really good voice work. And I think Scourge is one of the things I liked because we finally had a have a Transformers villain that actually feels somewhat imposing. And I attribute that to because Megatron got his ass kicked in three straight movies. <laughs> uh, they brought him back as Galvatron or whatever his name was. 
And then the third one had Leonard Nimoy's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was kind of underwritten. So I like that this one is... He's sort of like Darth Vader, where he's serving in A New Hope, where he's serving his master. He's like the heavy. It's amazing how everything is connecting as as we do these retrospectives. Because <laughs> uh, I was getting big Star Wars vibes. This opening was giving me, speaking of Superman, very big Man of Steel vibes. Because mm. the opening that is we have to leave the planet and get the plot, you know, Kal-El slash this transwarp key. High marks for creativity and naming, by the way, <laughs> off the planet. Like, I was getting... It's Again, we'll talk about Man of Steel in a couple months, but I'm like, good God, he plans this shit out on purpose because everything is lining up. <laughs> Don't forget, you're the one who did the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, what did you feel about Peter Dinklage as this character? I didn't recognize his voice, but... And I already forgot what the name of the Decepticons were. But right away, I felt like somebody just ordered a Decepticon off a of Wish.com. <laughs> because I was like, what the hell is this? He's like, he seems tiny and not intimidating, like a short man complex. And I was like, I was really disappointed. Like, I thought that it was going to be like some, you know, like big imposing character but i was just like wow okay well let's see what the rest of this has <laughs> i actually appreciate the design work in this movie of the of the transformers and terracons they aren't as bulky as they were in the bay films the color mm-hmm. palettes are more defined they're not all just gray piles of junk scraps i can tell who's who and they're also smaller than i think they were in the bay films mm-hmm. so i actually like that the and I think they did this for the t- for the toy companies because uh, they're mm-hmm. easier to manufacture that way. But as far as the design work goes between them and th- these Maximals, I-, I think they look pretty good. Although I was getting Bionicle flashbacks when I look at these Maximals. Oh, jeez. I like uh, the first, like you were talking about Bulky in the first two. I actually like that because it makes it seem like they're more almost put together by like a kid and that's how little boys dealt with the Transformers with their toys, you could totally see the different parts of the vehicle. Like, when they would transform in the first two movies, I really liked that the wheel was spinning, or you could see the windshield wipers. I thought that that was a great detail, that they were robots, but they also could turn back into this semi-truck. So I liked the the bigger, bulkier ones. It should be said that this is the first time that ILM has not done the design work on these robots. It was done by Weta Digital. And I, I, I'm with Matt, too. I, I, I like this design work a lot. You know, we, we saw hints of this when we watched Bumblebee. Bumblebee had the same thing, where we had that battle on Cybertron, and we could tell all the characters. And Matt, we said this when we were on that podcast. We said that they we could actually tell everybody apart, and it was nice to see. And I think they did that here. There was not one time in these battles that I could not tell who was who. And that was a big part of the Bay films that I that all of us just really just rebelled against was, man, can you guys make this so that we can tell what the fuck is going on here? Mm. So we're seeing that they're after what we know as the Transwarp Key, which opens portals through space and time. And we're seeing a Maximal named Abe Link. Should call it Jarrell. Sacrifices himself so that Maximals can escape the planet before it is devoured by Unicron. And this isn't that poorly filmed as we see Optimus Primal. Matt, as a fan of puns, you must have liked some of the ones that we get here, right? Primal, Abe Link. Eh. 
Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is not the kind of movie that that, that warrants warrant thought. <laughs> now, Cabell's he's using a lot of slow motion here, like they did, as Abe Link is just destroyed, and Scourge just has an absolute asshole line of, they never learn. Now, this is a different feel. We have this different director. Matt, could you feel the difference in tone? Could you feel the difference in directing here? Did you think this was a good directing job? I think it's just par for the course. I can't say it's any better or worse than not just Transformers, but blockbusters in general. I feel like a lot of the prologues that I see in whether it's superhero movies or these big temple releases, I find a lot of it just kind of workmanlike. But I couldn't tell you the last time I saw like an opening of a movie of this scale that really just blew me away. It's fine. It's efficient. I'm glad this wasn't 20 minutes. In fact, I could say that about a lot of the portions of this movie. So <laughs> I thought it was it was getting off on a decent note, and I could see potential at least. Jen, when I looked over at you during the scene, I saw your eyes were still open, so you must have still been into this, right? You were <laughs> into this opening scene? Yeah, I was. It brought back a lot of the first, like when they had the battle, the other planet, I forgot the name of it, in Bumblebee. It kind of reminded me a lot of that, and I almost felt like they were, like, picking from the other movies which battle to recreate, and this is the first one. Yeah, that was Cybertron they were fighting on in uh, Bumblebee. Yeah. So Unicron gets upset that the key is not in their possession, and he sends Scourge down to retrieve it, and this is when we get the opening titles. We then move on to 1994, two years before me and this lovely individual graduated high school. <laughs> and I do know that when the movie lagged and then it went to an early 90s hip-hop tune, it got me and her bouncing every single time. <laughs> uh, Matt, how do you feel about this setting? 1994, we're seeing some Wu-Tang posters. We're seeing some Mighty Power Rangers swag going on. How do you feel about this setting? So I like that it's it's a period piece without beating you over the head with it, I, with the exception of the music. I, I What I like about this soundtrack compilation is that they're all one piece. It's all 90s hip-hop. This is not Suicide Squad where they're just throwing random songs to make a compilation. Here, everything's of one piece. It fits the, the context of the characters, that section of Brooklyn in, around that time. So I will compliment the music quite heavily for this movie, which is not something I could say a lot when they do these big soundtracks. I was digging the soundtrack. Every single time a different song played, I was reminiscing on good old 1994, and I, hey, I know the words of this song, and it was one of my favorite parts of the movie, was the soundtrack. Matt was one year old, so I'm sure he remembers these songs quite well. <laughs> <laughs> we, we then see the hero of the film, ex-military electronics expert Noah Diaz, talking to his brother Chris as he makes some eggs that look similar to the burnt ones I made Jen a few days ago. <laughs> A lot of setup here as we're hearing that he is going for a job interview and that his little brother Chris has sickle cell anemia. By this point, we have gotten way past the shy away of getting involved in Transformers because he bought a car to impress a chick who leans on a hood. Here, we're getting a real human element added, and Capella is trying really hard to get us to like these characters for who they are. Though, while the lead, Anthony Ramos, is likable enough, I've seen him in Hamilton. Been, he's been around. He was also in Stars Born. He has a look to me that reminded me a little of Michael B. Jordan. I did really miss Haley Steinfeld, though, and I'm sad that they didn't bring her back for something. Matt, how do mm -hmm. you feel about the lead here? Yeah, I miss Haley Steinfeld tremendously, but I say that about almost every movie she's not in. 
I think that the two human leads in this movie are serviceable, but I have two issues. Number one, I think the context of this character is so cheap on the emotional side. They pick the most basic plot points to get you to like them. Brother has a disease, workaholic mom, they're trying to make ends meet. So that, that, that annoyed me a bit. Second thing is, again, the reason why this in parts felt like a continuation of Bay films is he's ex-military. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, the, the, the Bay films have that pro-military, gung-ho type of energy to them. A lot of those characters are military, like Josh DeBell and uh, a couple of others. I think, though, the only reason they include that detail was for that stinger at the end of the movie. I was just about ready to say that. Yep. I was just about ready to say that exact thing, where that is the only reason he is ex-military. I thought he was okay. He didn't really grab me emotionally. I could understand what their the writers were trying to do with the lines that they had and the storyline, but it did not grab me. It like Matt said, it seemed so cookie cutter, like, oh, this is a woe is me story. This kid has sickle cell anemia and he's trying to get a job to help his mom pay the medical bills. And all it really reminded me of was, is this an advertisement for universal health care? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it made me more mad that this kid has to go through this and they have to pay these bills. It didn't grab me at all. I don't know if he has issues with showing emotion as an actor or what, but I like the kid, but the lead actor, I was like, eh. Yeah, I gotta say, they picked the wrong, they picked the wrong, because I, I, you know, part of these Transformers movies has been about appealing to the young prepubescent boy. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been achieved much more for a movie in comparison to the Bay films. This one's a lot lighter, brighter, you know, it's nowhere near as self-important as some of those got. So I think it would have made more sense for that kid to be the main tag-along. But yeah. I, I understand why they picked the other one, but I, I think it kind of works against it. And they, they have to find a way to write the younger brother into the rest of the movie, because I think maybe they realized, oh, we made a mistake in the in the mm-hmm. writing. Yep. I love witnessing the purchasing of the black box. That we get here. Never had one of these on my own, but Adam did, and that was the reason I never gave Vince McMahon a cent in the mid to late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> We're then getting our introduction to the movie's female lead, Elena, played by Dominique Fishback. Now, she becomes the quote-unquote IT tech of the film. She's like, she's the bookworm here. And I have to say, it looks like Capel wants really hard to put out there that, with the exception of her laying her head on Noah's shoulder at the end of the movie, she's not going to come within 10 feet of him for most of it. This is not a love story. No, it's not. I liked her character. I thought she played it pretty well, and I liked the scientific IT aspect of it. I think she ran circles around the other main character with her acting, and if they maybe didn't have that other main character and just the little boy and her, it probably would have been a far better movie. Yeah, that's my take as well. I like that she's intelligent and also put upon without being Kristen Wiig from Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Like, like that level of just nebbish, shy, like people like that who don't exist in real life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here, you know, it's, it's there. But again, because this movie is considerably aimed at a younger audience, I'm glad that it's not over-explained. And I, I like her, her screen presence. 
So mm-hmm. Elena is not getting the credit from her boss, Julia, as she figures out the markings of an artifact they just got. And Julia's the one who tells the officers on the scene and just leaves the eagle artifact in the office. <laughs> We're seeing Noah take Chris to the hospital, who refuses to admit him due to them being behind on bills. Yet Chris is very familiar with the rule, bros before hoes, which was a line I kind of dug. Probably taken from the first Transformers film when Shia's friend says the exact same thing to him. Noah is refused a job interview he was initially promised for the reason that he's unreliable and that he does not know how to be part of a team. Hmm, I wonder what his arc is going to (laughs) be. Right? Yeah, this is telegraphy and degree to the point where, like, Stevie Wonder could have seen this coming. (laughs) (laughs) Noah gets the idea on the way home from the botched job interview of calling his ex-convict Twizzlers eating friend Reek to go steal a Porsche 911 so he can sell it and pay his brother's hospital bills. He makes his way through a warehouse as Diggable Planets plays in the background (laughs) until he comes upon the Porsche with the Autobot symbol on it. He takes a Slim Jim to it, but the car fucks with him and keeps locking the door before he can get in, and he finally gets in. Meanwhile, Elena, she has opened the eagle to reveal half the transwarp key, and this wakes up Prime, who summons the Autobots. This causes who we'll eventually know is Mirage to take off with Noah inside, and we get a car chase involving cops right through the streets of New York. One cop car gets completely taken out by a semi, and we get to see what we saw in the trailer, which is Mirage's ability to create four holograms of himself. I did like the car chase. I like the aspect of Transformers where they are able to actually transform and utilize those special skills, get away from the enemy, who in this case was NYPD. So I thought that part was pretty clever. I liked the aspect of it. It did remind me, though, like when he was trying to get into the car and it kept locking, I was like, oh, okay, this is like the scene from the very first movie where Bumblebee was messing with Shia LaBeouf's character. I was like, okay, can we create a brand new scene? Like, do we have to steal (laughs) the premise from the very first movie? Like, the writers were like, hmm, what should we do? And they just added different colors to the same scene, really. I do appreciate this doesn't go on too long, and it's not like they're causing massive pile-ups. I mean... For for a weeknight, uh, traffic's pretty minimal in New York yes. City of all places, especially when they get on that bridge. Um, yeah. I'm like, it's amazing that, that that place is not backed up to the nth degree. And Mirage, I'm sure, kills at least that one cop that hits, yes. the, hits yeah. the interstate head-on. Like that. yeah. That's the fatality right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about Mirage. Mirage ejects Noah from the car, and we're hearing the voice of Pete Davidson. Yeah. Now, I have a confession to make here, guys. I have been very harsh on Davidson in the past. Matt, we got a little bit of him when we did Fast X a few weeks ago, and it's, I was on record as saying he was about <laughs> he was one of about a gazillion annoying things in that movie. And the Suicide Squad. Oh, and the oh, yeah, that's right. We did the <laughs> Suicide Squad, too. He was also in a Judd Apatow movie called The King of Stratton Island that is about as unbearable as a two-plus-hour movie starring him can be. His public persona is annoying as hell. However... I'll say I like him in this movie. I think the Mirage character is a nice transition from Bumblebee. He was in this movie, but not nearly as much as usual. Mirage was Noah's end to this universe, much like Bumblebee was Shia's end in that first film. And he works well in that way. I like him a lot. I was surprised that he did not annoy me to the extent that I thought he would when I heard he was basically the main Transformer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because 
and and I get the sense that they did not let him riff whatsoever. They just told him stick to the script. He's got the right vocal pattern for voiceover work, so I was surprised that his voice actually fit, and he wasn't doing this you know obscene accent because this could have been when you think of like the bad Robin Williams voiceover movies. Mm-hmm. He's just untapped and gets really annoying. I was surprised I didn't have that here, and I think his voice actually fits. Yeah. I, when I first heard he was here, I was like, you. I'm like, oh, God. Now we're going to get a ton of, like, like remember from the second film, the testicles joke? You know, we're going to get a ton of those types, juvenile humor. From what I understand, from what the lead actor was saying in interviews that I read, he did riff a little bit, but not as much as you would expect. And he loved going by the recording studio and seeing him in his sessions because he always he added a lot to this character. Jen, did you like him in this? Not one little bit. Wow. I thought he is the most annoying human on the freaking planet. And having to listen to him be mirage is like nails on a chalkboard. I wish they would have like used like Chris Rock or... Oh, um, God. <laughs> I know, I know. But like, no, he can go fly a kite. I did not like him at all. See, that was my point. I normally don't, but I did like him in this. And that was one. That was the mic drop moment I was I was kind of saving for this, Jen. Was, as soon as he we heard his voice, we both kind of looked at each other and went, oh. Mm-hmm. And the more the character came on screen, the more he interacted with Noah. I liked him more and more. And by the end, I was really into him. But he didn't grow on you, huh? No, I wanted to punch him across the freaking <laughs> New York City. He was, I couldn't get how he normally talks out of my head. Yeah. And it, I was just like, I don't think they nailed it on this one at all. Nope. Mirage forces a fist bump with Noah and one of many references to Spielberg in this movie as he rips into E.T. and then the rest of the Autobots, Prime, R.C., and Bumblebee show up. Prime starts ripping Mirage for bringing a human into the battle and then Noah's pass is revealed to Prime through R.C. and Prime responds with, he doesn't look like a soldier. And this is going to be Prime's arc. Prime does have an arc in this in that he has to learn to trust this guy. He does, but I'm so goddamn sick of Optimus Prime. I know you are. (laughs) and it's the same thing in every movie. All he does is speechify and get his fucking ass kicked by everybody. If this is how he is in the cartoon, I don't understand how he's so popular. Don't forget this is a prequel to those Shia films, too. So, like, this is him before. He gets I know. killed in the second one. He gets killed in the second one, exactly. <laughs> the only reason he wins in the third one is because he stabs Sentinel Prime from behind. <laughs> <laughs> Prime then reveals why they're here, to find the transwarp key, and Mirage shows up with the idea to get Noah to help them out. Mirage crosses his spark and hopes to die as he convinces (laughs) Noah to go along with their plan. Meanwhile, Elena finds out more about the symbols, and Mirage is confused by the idea of Marky Mark leaving the Funky Bunch and going into acting. And then he says the main reason that Prime is so grumpy is because he misses home. So that's Prime's main thing in this movie, is... He is trying to find a way home, which is really counteracts with a lot of what we've seen. Because when we saw that first Transformers movie, I was under the impression I didn't rewatch them for this. I wanted to. I did not get into rewatching them for this. But in that first movie, it was it's implied that that's their first time here, right, Matt? <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah. But even if this was a sequel to Bumblebee, a hundred percent, I thought he came to terms at the end of that movie of this is our home now. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't rewatched that either since the since we watched it for the show, so I could be wrong. 
Prime then says humans will always protect what is theirs. As he tells Bumblebee that he knows one was nice to him once, and Bumblebee responds with a very bad version of the Nicholson sound clip, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> so this is the one reference we get here. Is this one reference to that human that was nice to Bumblebee? We're talking about Haley Steinfeld here, right? It's got to be, unless they're just referencing something else that we've never seen. We then see the Terracons emerge from the water. Elena, she runs into Noah, who comes up with a terrible excuse that he's the janitor. And he then explains that he's after the key because it belongs to those giant robots from space. <laughs> this is when the Terracons show up and Scourge just wants to just rip their flesh from their bones. And they shoot at Noah and Elena. And this is when the Autobots show up and we get a little battle within the museum. I love the line Scourge gives a prime here. I love the look of confusion when an inferior meets a higher power. <laughs> this is great, cheesy, fucking 90s fun stuff to me. Meanwhile, Elena and Noah are pursued through the museum. And I like this little character trait of Elena, where she always just rips off a, uh, a hip-hop tune when she's full of anxiety. I thought that was kind of cool. And Jen was having fun recognizing the tunes that she was humming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weren't they both TLC songs? Yeah. Hell yeah. This fight's pretty fun. I, I enjoyed this fight at the museum. Jen, were you liking this fight? I was. I was thinking the little scorpion things kept distracting me and reminding me a lot of the tiny little spider-looking things from the first two movies. Mm-hmm. But those things are little assholes. Like, they it looks like they grew up and now they're, you know, even bigger assholes. Their job is mainly to deflesh humans. You know why I like them? They didn't speak. Because if, <laughs> if they were allowed to talk, they would have been the stupid gremlin bot or the yeah. uh, or the Bashemi bot 5000 from the, uh, I don't know what movie that one that was. Be. That was the last night, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I couldn't fucking tell you. Like, all those movies blend together, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> all I know is the second one has the step and fetch it bots. And that's the yep. only reason I remember that one above the others. Scourge says that Primus would be ashamed of Prime. And he's about to kill him again before Bumblebee shows up and sacrifices himself. Or does he? Stay tuned for later. <laughs> for the record, this is the second movie in a row where they have fake killed Bumblebee and then brought him back to life. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's already a problem because it's a prequel. We know it's so I don't understand the rationale of, of doing these at all because no one, no one bought this for a second. Nope. Although we'll discuss when he comes back. Me and Jen both look at each other like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> it's, it's like Bumblebee is such a beloved character when it comes to Transformers fans, and he gets killed off in the first twenty, thirty minutes or whatever of the film. They got to do something because then all of us true Transformer fans are going to be like, well, this is crap. So I think that's probably the stay tuned. Like they kill him off and bring him back because he's such a beloved character. He's like Matt said, the boy and his dog. The key is now in their possession and the Terracons leave. Eagle Air Razor, played by recent Oscar winner Michelle Yao. This is Michelle Yeoh's follow-up to her big Oscar-winning movie, voice acting in a Transformers film. <laughs> right before that Oscar win, she also got her Marvel paycheck. That's true. Mm. Jen, this makes two years in a row that me and you have gone to a movie with Michelle Yeoh, by the way. Oh, yeah. Cause the- and she's going to be in the Avatar sequels. Yeah, she is. We'll yeah. be talking about And if I get my wish for musicals, we'll be doing Wicked. Mm-hmm. Now, this eagle shows up and tells the humans about Unicron. 
Scourge tells Unicron that he's found salvation as Unicron gets angry that he only has half the key. <laughs> Scourge couldn't find that, that he has the key. He's like, oh, shit, there's another half to this thing. <laughs> Prime blames Noah for their failure. Elena, she lets them know that the other half of the key is in Peru because convenient plot advancement symbols were at work. Well, okay. they got to find a way to stretch this plot to two hours because this is so fucking bare bones. Yes. <laughs> this is a storytelling trope I don't like. We have to get the thing to get the other thing that if you combine them, the world either ends or something terrible happens. Don't all the Transformers movies have, like, this MacGuffin, like, the the AllSpark? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one, the laziest fucking Transwarp key is all they could come up with. <laughs> Right? <laughs> like, you couldn't call it, like, the Tesseract. Like, at least the Marvel movies come up with names for their objects. You gotta look at this at surface level, though. They have to find a way to bring these humans in, according to them. I have said from the beginning that I think if you made a Transformers movie without humans, it would be a fun film. Yes, they should have done that with this one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. yes. But they saw the response that Bumblebee got, and so they wanted to build that heart within this as well. And I think that's to the movie's detriment. This doesn't need Noah. This doesn't need Elena. We've already said they're not that good characters anyway. Why bring them here? Yeah, and, and I wonder if it's... I think a part of it has to do with budgetary reasons. You save money because that's two less characters you have to animate. True. That, that caused your budget to go up. And I think people just, they like seeing themselves. But at the same time, Transformers, the biggest problem, well shouldn't say the biggest, because I, I have a laundry list of problems with the Bay films, <laughs> is that the human characters always feel unnecessary. So this is the perfect opportunity to try something different. But uh, look, this, this movie is not doing well in the originality department, because there's something coming up where I, full disclosure, said to my friend Alex, are you fucking kidding me? It's like the third movie we've seen in theaters in a row where you said that, <laughs> that we've covered. <laughs> I think in the first film, they did a good job of merging the story of the Autobots and Sam Witwicky and how the story, it aligned a lot better and it made a lot more sense. And having Bumblebee find Shy's character in the way that he did and him having his grandfather with the code written on his glasses, all of that, it aligned and made a lot more sense. In this one, it's like they're grasping for straws trying to figure out a way to mesh the story of why these different characters have to fight the same fight. It was a lot easier and flowed better in the first one. In this one, they're just taking elements from the first few movies and splicing it all together and calling it a plot. Let's not forget, that first one also had a whole map drawn out on a set of glasses. You know, I don't know how you can say that makes more sense than this. Because that's where they drew it out on there, and he had the glasses, and so they're trying to find Ladies Man 539, mm -hmm. because that's where they found the glasses, and they're using technology that we have here on Earth to find the AllSpark. Whereas in this one, they're just grasping at straws going, okay, well, there's this Noah character and this Elena character, and, like, this is how they meet, and then uh, we're just going to put them in this building, and then uh, now, look, there's uh, Autobots here. You're saying it's more contrived in this one? Yes. Okay. Noah tells Prime that he's not going to leave his planet to a guy who couldn't protect his own. Ooh, ouch. And says that he's going to go ahead and go. So Noah goes to Chris and tells him that his sickle cell count is high. 
as we get a reenactment of one of my least favorite scenes in cinema history. That of big-ass robots hiding behind buildings, like in the first film. <gasps> that was my favorite part. Oh, honey. <laughs> Go back to that podcast. I did like a whole ten-minute rant on how ridiculous that was, that they were hiding and stepping on statues and nobody saw. Okay, we're, back. we're past that now. <laughs> Mirage, meanwhile, he says that they didn't treat E.T. like this. And oh. Noah says, go, go ahead. I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and then Noah says goodbye to Chris, who makes Mirage promise nothing will hurt him. I'm actually shocked this character didn't show up in the climax, although he kind of does. But this Chris character, I'm, I'm surprised he wasn't on the battlefield. Especially because they contrive a way for the brother to be able to fight later on. That should have been the other kid. If you were going to pull that shit, which, God... Fucking Iron Man should be suing. (laughs) (laughs) Mirage tells Prime to smile a little bit as they get on Stratosphere, who will take them to Peru. I'll say this about Peru and this movie. In the past, we've had big battles within city limits, as well as deserted streets and everything in between. Yes, there have been things that take place in green environments, take when Prime gets executed in that second one. But this beautiful scenery is a great place to take this film, and if for anything else, it gives us something different to look at than what we've been seeing for seven straight films. Yes, that's true, but it's also the same thing of, despite there being thousands of people... They have to contrive a way for the Transformers to fight somewhere outside the city outskirts. It's like BVS where they're like, we have to go on this island and we have to remind the audience it's uninhabited so we don't get yes. complaints about innocent bystanders being murdered. Honey, did you like the way this movie looked? I don't know if I remember this part exactly. <laughs> Might have been where I was dozing off. It didn't capture my attention as much. And maybe it's the serene landscape. I like the scenes in the middle of the city where they're knocking buildings down and putting holes in the street because all I can think about is that wouldn't happen in real life and it's just it's fun to watch buildings get knocked down because when you're a kid or at least when my kids were little playing blocks and knocking the buildings over and running cars in the buildings and things that's what's fun and it it's like that comes to life on the screen and it makes it exciting Whereas hmm. you're out in the middle of nowhere, you're like, oh, looky, there's a horse eating grass. It's, I don't know, it's boring to me. So, <laughs> Garrett, for the record, she just said watching buildings come down is fun. I know. We, we had to have her on the Man of Steel show, because we test that theory tenfold. <laughs> don't tempt me. Now, Adam's going to get the whole year off at this point. <laughs> Alina tells Noah that this is the, her first time leaving Brooklyn, and they get to know each other a little bit. They show up in Peru, as does Wheeljack. Is it just me or are these Transformers, I don't know, part of the B-Squad, maybe? Yeah, they're starting to get into the 12th generation. It's, I guess it's like Pokemon, where you start off with all the really notable ones, and by the time they kept going and reached a certain point, they ran out of all the heavy hitters. Uh, <laughs> this, this is like the AAA squad of Transformers. Because <laughs> at least the other ones I know by name, just based on pop culture osmosis. These I have never heard of. And even though they're stereotypes, they're nowhere near as offensive as the Bay films. <laughs> That's true. I like the rickety old airplane just because it added a certain old school character to it and the rattling of the plane as it's flying. I just thought that was kind of neat and I liked that character, that Transformer. I thought he was way funner than all the other ones. 
He was fun, actually, when he was on screen. Enjoying mm-hmm. the show. We learn there's a festival going on, but Prime says they can't wait until it's over in case Scourge is there already. So once again, Noah says that they'll blend in, as Noah is given a glove that will definitely come into play later. Check back in. They get to the temple and come upon an insignia, which opens up, and Noah responds to this by saying, that's some Indiana Jones-type shit. Yet another Spielberg (laughs) reference. They go deep in the temple and find the location of the other half of the key. They start getting chased, though, and we see the Autobots in pursuit. They really, really contrive ways to get these humans involved. Yeah, they have to say, all right, you guys have to go in alone. Yeah. Into this temple, because the Transformers wouldn't fit. It's like they're going out of their way to justify these characters being in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This this is like discount. This is like the, the heated leftovers of National Treasure. So <laughs> no, Noah shoots a robot in front of him, which pisses Elena off because she had no idea that he had a gun the whole time. And then we get my favorite Spielberg reference of this movie. It's done in this leg of the film as Scourge is in pursuit of Prime in the guise of this old-ass truck with a grill that contains all the insignias of the Transformers he's killed. I turned right to Jenna and I was like, this is a direct reference to Spielberg's duel. And then she looked at me with crazy eyes. <laughs> that was Spielberg's first movie where a truck stalks a driver on a highway. I thought that was kind of a nice touch. That was the one that I thought was the cleverest, because Duel is nowhere near as well known as E.T. Exactly. He talks about this never happened to E.T., like E.T. got treated better than this. Mirage didn't finish the movie, because there's a part where they're about to gut that fucker open like a Thanksgiving turkey. <laughs> <laughs> RC and Wheeljack barely avoid a missile as Prime and Scourge go at it again. Yet more kind of Bay-type directing here, more slow motion. Mm-hmm. More I, 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 there's parts where Michael Bay feels like he ghost-directed because there's during the climax when they're getting stabbed, you see like oil spilling everywhere because mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a representation of blood. Mm-hmm. Air Razor, she provides some, some cover fire, but she gets hit by something from Scourge that starts corrupting her with Unicron's dark energy. Prime and Scourge, they say that they'll meet again as they part ways, and we have Optimus Primal show up, along with the rest of the Maximals. Remember these guys? I forgot they were in the movie. It's been an hour since we've seen them. Jen, I take it by that reaction, you did not like these. I'm like, it's called Rise of the Beast, and they were in the movie for like five minutes. (laughs) They figure into the climax, but there are a couple that they introduce here that literally get like one minute of screen time. You're right about that. It's really bizarre, although they get more screen time than the Dinobots did in that fourth film. See, the Beast Wars and all that, that came out way after my Transformers fandom. I was into it when I was about seven, eight years old. By this time, it was, what, 2000s when this came out, like uh, early 2000s. And so I was done with Transformers by this time. I had no idea about these characters. This was past my fandom. And and I find that if I pass my fandom when I get into these films, it it leaves me kind of cold. It really made me feel old, though, because Cabell has been in interviews and stuff saying, oh, yeah, I love the Beast Wars. Like, that's what I kind of grew up on. I was like, oh, God, here we go. There's always one. We get a meet and greet as Air Razor introduces all of them to each other. And that one joke from Davidson that I didn't like was when he was just like, this is just engine oil. That was kind of a groaner to me. (laughs) (laughs) Mirage lets Noah know that Chris is keeping tabs on him as the Maximals reveal that they've entrusted the second half of the key to a human tribe they have been working with because there's more to them than meets the eye, Matt. That was the the line that was too much for me. (laughs) That line. I was like, wow, I guarantee you those writers, when they wrote that, they were so fucking proud of themselves. I know. (laughs) Right? They were like, this is a zinger. Oh... 
Jen, you didn't like that line? No. I think I did hear you groan right after it, actually. It was the cycles. I was like, wow, okay. It's like <laughs> drinking out of a paper straw, you know? You have to ask for it? Yeah. <laughs> the tribe give it up as Primal expresses concern over giving the other half of the key up due to the corruption associated with it. This was convenient, huh? Them working with this tribe? How exactly were they working with these people? Right? Yeah, a little bizarre. Alina goes through more of the symbols and says maybe there's a way to save both species without blowing everything up. She then makes the comparison between Noah and Prime, saying all they are are big brothers trying to protect their families. So we're trying to get humans and the robots comparable, but I don't know if it's working. No. This is the prequel, so Prime is still a little apprehensive about the humans, and Mirage is like, this is my buddy, and Bumblebee is pro-human too, but... Remember in the first couple of ones, Prime is the one that was like, we have to protect the humans, and this is the reason that we're on this earth, is to, protect, is to help protect these humans. So it kind of rubbed me the wrong way with Prime being so apprehensive on working with the people. Elena finds Air Razor and sees her start being taken over by Unicron. Meanwhile, Prime warns Noah to not destroy the key, because then their home will be gone forever. So he refrains. That's how return was already destroyed. Yeah. Right, right. That's what I thought, too. We saw that being destroyed in Bumblebee, right? Yeah, well, again, this is where the continuity is so murky. Where it's Mm. like, well, if you're not paying attention to your own history, then why should I care about the present? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It should be said that they did ask the director of Bumblebee to come back for this. He turned it down. I can't help but think if he had come back, that continuity would be tightened a little more. But then again, we have the writers of fucking Battleship doing this. Yeah, for the record, yeah. There's five credited writers on this movie. Yeah. And as I've said a hundred times in the past, there's always at least triple that when it comes to these films. Like, they go through a lot of hands before they get put in front of the screen. I mean, it's it's like Prime is almost willing to sacrifice this Noah kid to be able to get the key away from these other septa, whatever the hell they are. Terracons. Terracons. And... (laughs) He's willing to sacrifice these humans' lives so that they could head back home, whereas in the first one, he's willing to sacrifice himself by putting the Allspark into his chest to save Earth. Optimus Primal begs El Razor to fight the corruption, taking her over, but it's too late. There's a battle between the two, and she convinces him to kill her. Meanwhile, Scourge... Like, this is weird. Like, this is like almost X-Files shit, where this black goo is taking her over, and she's turning into this other thing, and so... It's the shit from Prometheus. Yeah, that's true, too. That's a nice comparison. (laughs) Meanwhile, Scores takes the key to Unicron, and we see, uh, you guessed it, ray of light go into the sky, making a portal, one of Matt's favorite tropes in these films. This is where I lost my shit. (laughs) I I hate this. I hate this so much. I hate it. Mm This happened, and I immediately thought of you. It's just like, oh, God, that's going to hate this. This is like the third time in this franchise they've done it. Yeah. This is probably why our ozone's all fucked up. It's not because we burn up greenhouse gases. It's because the fucking Autobots and Decepticons won't stop doing this shit. <laughs> we then see Prime make nice with Noah, saying he didn't see how all Noah was doing was fighting for what was right and what was his. Ugh. Noah gathers the troops, who say the only way to stop it is an access code that was split along with the key, but this is the code that Elena has been working on all film. They form a plan, which, wouldn't you know it, involves needing the human's help to use the code to shut it down. 
Prime says they will charge the bridge together and lure Scourge into the battlefield, and if they were to die, it would be fighting all as one. More of this pontificating by Prime. He'd be an amazing politician, because he's all talk and no results. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how does Prime keep getting bailed out by his fellow Transformers in every movie? And he's a hypocrite. I, I make fun of this all the time. He just straight up murders Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> like, yeah. That's my favorite thing in any of these movies. <laughs> we even get a hero shot of all of them in a line before they leave, too. I was, that was that was kind of contrived, too. Jen, were you getting excited for this? Were you, getting re- were you ready for this battle? I knew how it was going to end. So, I mean, it was rinse and repeat from the last hour and 15 minutes of the movie i feel like so it was kind of i was like okay come on fight kill each other get it over with well they really just rinse and repeat for the endless swarm of other robots they have to fight which is another another trope i fucking hate like suicide squad avengers the ultron army just the, the battle droids. Like, I'm yeah. so freaking sick of seeing this. And this is where, like, it, it turns into, again, sloppy seconds, where I've seen all this before. It's not particularly well done. Everything's all grayed out now. Mm-hmm. Color palette. Like, it feels like an entirely different team came in to do this climax. It's like the electronic version of the fight, last fight scene in Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. We cut to Prime interrupting Scourge's party, and Scourge sends in the troops. And we're off with this 30-minute climax. I kind of like the action we get here, as it is almost identical to some stuff that was in that 80s cartoon. But there were times when it reminded me of something, Matt, that we'll be covering pretty soon. It reminded me of Geonosis and Attack of the Clones. Oh, I thought of the prequels multiple times. I I checked out for this 20 minutes. Did you really? Uh, I was checking my watch. I was bored out of my skull. Because the movie had already played its hand. There, there's no more surprises that are upcoming. Oh, we get last, one. Until the last two minutes. <laughs> That's why I said this 20 minutes, not the rest of the movie. Gotcha. Jen, were you enjoying this climax? Were you enjoying this fight? I think you were awake for this. Yeah, I was awake for this part. It really felt to me like some computer animator just had a heart on, and I thought it was clunky. I didn't like the way that... It looked on screen. Like Matt said, it was dark. It just looked like somebody threw a bunch of tinfoil in the air and shone a flashlight at it. I didn't like it. (laughs) It should be said that this is one of the first releases I can recall in recent memory, at least this year, where it's released in 3D. We had 3D screenings at our theater, and I'm glad we didn't go to it because 3D movies, they kind of hurt my eyes, as I'm sure they do, my lovely fiancé. So I'm glad we didn't go to it, but I'm shocked that there are 3D screenings to this. I don't know how this would work, especially given the darkness that is involved in this final 30 minutes. Matt, you didn't see 3D, I take it. Was it for you, I wouldn't have seen it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Murat says he's going to take on Scourge on his own to distract him while Elena and Noah, they enter the code. Noah goes up in the fight as Elena takes off. Scourge is about to take out Noah before Mirage comes and takes the bullet himself. And he gets shot several more times. And I'm here wondering, uh, is Noah able to move? Because he's pretty crunched into this robot here. Right? We see Unicron start forming as we get a real Independence Day style set of shots of people looking up in wonder at the destruction. <laughs> Again, this is fucking Man of Steel when that Gravitron machine Yeah, looking up. Meanwhile, Chris somehow gets through to the walkie-talkie contained in Peru, and Noah says that he's sorry. We see montages of fights as Chris eggs Noah on to get up and fight. 
and before he can say no, Morad says he himself can't fight, so he'll need Noah to take the wheel. The glove on his hand expands into a suit that was a direct reference to what the Witwickies wore in that first animated film, by the way, Matt. Again, er everything matters. And before I put that together, though, I seriously thought this was going to take him over and we were going to get, like, a new Transformer named right before us. Like, I thought this was going to be some David Cronenberg-type shit going on here where this dude's going to be taken over. <laughs> it reminded me of... They didn't have another character they could write in, so they were like, let's do a Transformers version of Tron. That's what it reminded oh, me shit. of. <laughs> they look like Tron suits, yeah. Matt, this was a surprise, getting him in the suit, right? Yeah, it was. I liked it better when I saw it in The Rise of Cobra. <laughs> they looked like, look like those Halo suits that Jack Halo Noah gets into a brawl with Scourge right before Prime gets in on the fight. A little back and forth happens as Elena gets in an adventure that involves keeping the key from falling into lava. They're stretching to give her something to do here. They're stretching out this runtime. But the runtime's not that long. I mean, this, it's barely over two hours, so it's not that long. Yeah, but this, this plot is like... An hour. Prime and Noah start having their way with Scourge before the others join the fray, and what the fuck? Armed with a convenient plot device that the energy deviated from the key activated from the Enercron deposit beneath the valley where he was kept, as well as LL Cool J's Mama Said Knock You Out, and a Roddy Piper quote from They Live, Here Comes Bumblebee. This has the Fast and Furious syndrome of not killing its fucking characters. <laughs> they can't. No, they can't kill this fucking character. Absolutely not. Jen pointed that out earlier. Like, that character was so well-liked, and if they killed him, it would be a riot in the form of how we rioted when Prime was killed in 86. And then they Did brought like him this back. moment? Yeah. <laughs> no, because, for the record, they also stole this from the trailer for Deadpool 2, right down to the same song. Uh, I barely remember that movie. All right, so Matt didn't like it. Jen, I think you liked when Bumblebee came back, right? Yeah. Remember, I think I said something along the lines of, this is the best part of the whole movie. You did. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with Jen here. I kind of liked it, too. It was kind of fun, although, again, it was convenient, you know, that beam of light is what brought him back to life. Okay, convenient. But when he emerged from uh, from that plane, I was I was kind of digging it. More reinforcements in the form of scorpions arrive. As Matt says, unending enemies come in here, which Noah starts taking out. More fighting happens as Elena finally deactivates the key. The Scourge damages the control council when the, where the key is kept before being killed by Prime. Prime says he'll sacrifice himself to take out the key and tells Bumblebee to protect the humans as he does so. Unicron makes one last-ditch effort to convince him otherwise, but Prime doesn't fall for it and takes him out. Noah saves Prime from falling with the debris right before Primal comes and saves both of them. And Cabell did say he wanted Prime to go in with the debris here. He wanted him to fall in, which, you know, we know he's not going to be dead because he comes back in those Bay films. But he has said in interviews that when they were doing this right after 2020, he was like, the people didn't really want downtrodden endings. We didn't want people to go out of this film thinking that maybe Prime was dead, at least characters in the film. So we went with the more triumphant ending with the heroes. And I'm not sure if sending Prime out would have uh, made this ending better. No, it just would have compounded my issues that death means nothing. Because we, we know that they'd bring him back. Mm-hmm. If this yeah. is definitively its own timeline, then maybe you could get away with that. Unicron gets destroyed, and we hear the original Transformers film theme for the first time as the Maximals send them off. 
You know, it should be said, too, this was a composer that Cavell brought on himself. He really had to fight the studio to do it because he's been working with this guy since they went to USC together. And he came up with some themes, and the studio was really digging it. And Steve Jablonski, the original composer, did come, and he consulted and helped him with it. And I, I think the score is actually rather good. Jen, did you like the score? Not the music, but the score? Yeah, I like the Transformers theme. What it was trying to do was solidify and bring it all together. It didn't really do that, but I still like the score. Matt, do you have anything to say about the score or no? I have about as much to say as these writers do about the human condition. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) We get another bit of dialogue from Prime, and usually this means the end of the movie, but his words aren't what sends us off. Noah tells us that he'll be there for whenever the Autobots need him. Which is ostensibly never, because he's not (laughs) in any of the main films. Although... We might see him in the future, because he might have been somewhere else. Because we then cut to another job interview. Noah sees Elena being interviewed by Leslie Stahl on TV, and then walks in, and the guy who's at the desk, he goes over his resume. This guy's from House of Cards, by the way. And this goes on for a bit, and it's looking dire as the interviewer asks him about Peru. He says that they're a strictly government organization, and that they could use Noah and his team of big guys, as he calls them, to help them in the war that they're in, and that Noah's brother will be taken care of by the world's top doctors. Now, in this world of internet gossip and rumors, I have to say, it feels nice to walk into a movie and not know what that final stinger was. I seriously had zero idea of what was coming up because I hadn't read any articles whatsoever on this. I want to go in as fresh as possible. But as soon as he said secret government organization, my antennas were up. In my my mind, I thought, there's no way they're going to go where I think they're going to go. Sure enough, the business card is turned over. G.I. Joe is revealed. And a part of me had a bit of a smile. A part of me, the part Jen heard, groaned. And a part of me thought... After toying around with the idea for years, oh shit, we are going to have that retrospective before a new Transformers film comes out. Matt, what'd you feel about this, sir? I had no idea this was coming, and when it did, it was sort of like when Darth Maul showed up in Solo. I was like, <laughs> okay, that that's cool, but what the fuck? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it seems like an inevitability that Snake Eyes did not do the box office. People thought it would. This remains to be seen how well it's going to do, because they have apparently two more films planned. (laughs) So a crossover... I mean, look, it's already more successful than the Dark Universe. They've succeeded past the floor, so there's nowhere to go but up. So if, if they're willing to do this and make it just unabashedly fun, then they have my support. But I just question the powers that be and who is going to be the person who actually combines these two properties. Honestly, I like G.I. Joe much more than I've ever liked Transformers. Really? So I, th- I thought this was me as a fan of that, but I've been burned before, just to prelude when we get to that series. Mm. I thought, oh shit, they're going to go off and ruin this one too, huh? <laughs> Man, all the cynical people I surround myself with. It's like, I don't know how ready our society right now is for G.I. Joe, although you never know because they're running out of film ideas, so they might as well go for G.I. Joe, but I just feel like they're going to overplay it and possibly ruin it. I kind of like the way it was revealed, though, because they could have gone this route, right? They could have went and hired The Rock to be roadblock here, right, Matt, where he's given the card and 
we know something's coming up and then it comes up. But <sighs> this was like, it reminded me of when, like I interviewed Adam Marcus years ago, director of Friday the 13th Part 9. And he mentioned that the way they came up with Freddy's glove was he literally just came up with it on the fly, went to the studio, and the studio was like, let's go do it. And by that time, New Line Cinema had owned both Freddy and Jason, and they did it. This was the director's idea. He grew up loving those crossover graphic novels. They did graphic novels of this back in 87. They had G.I. Joe and Transformers, and he really dug it. And this was a fight from the studio. The studio really, really had to fight for this. It took about a year and a half to get the negotiations right, where Hasbro was like, well, how are you going to do this? How is it going to be represented? And uh, the script went through a lot of different phases before we came to this. I kind of dug it though. I have to say it reminded me of being a kid. It reminded me of right when I saw the alien head on the Predator ship in Predator 2 or Freddy bring Jason's mask under in Friday 9. I looked at this I was like they could do some cool stuff here. But like both of those things they didn't really work out. Uh, I hope they can do it. I hope but it, it infused a little bit more life here. And again like I said it also proves that Matt, you and I are going to have to do that retrospective. If they do come out with a crossover, guess what? That's going to be a four-person podcast because it's going to be me, you, Matt, and Jen on that one. (laughs) Matt, it also reminded me of our biggest fight when we talked about the Dark Knight Rises. And at the very end of that, they reveal that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's name was Robin. That was probably me and Matt's biggest fight we've ever had on this podcast was how cool or uncool that scene was. And I looked at this, I'm like, oh, God, it's going to be that. But I didn't know you were a huge fan of G.I. Joe. Huge is a bit of a stretch. I, I like G.I. Joe more than I like Transformers. We get closing credits, but a mid-credit scene all of a sudden shows up where we find out that Mirage is indeed alive. Big shock there. Mm-hmm. And credits finally roll on Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Matt, did this surprise you that Mirage was alive? <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> all right. Scale of 1 to 10... What do we give Transformers, The Rise of the Beast? Jen, my love, you go ahead and go. I'm going to give it a whopping five, where obviously I would give like the first Transformers like a ten, because I love that movie. Hate me all you want, but <laughs> that's in my top five for very specific reasons. But this one, it really disappointed me. I was ready for that camaraderie that I've come to know and love with Prime and with Bumblebee and with the humans that they're interacting with. And they form a great team to see to the end the main goal of the movie, whereas this one, it felt so forced. It felt like the relationship between the humans and the Autobots, the robots, were... Just a happenstance, just a coincidence, and I really didn't like it. Maybe five is a stretch, but being a giant Transformers fan, this really disappointed me, and it made me sad. <laughs> made you sad. Matt, did I just hear her say that she gave the first Transformers a 10 out of 10? That's what I heard. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, I'm sleeping in the spare room today. All right, <laughs> Goudreau, Goudreau, what about you, sir? One person's mild disappointment or a severe disappointment, is another person's mild surprise. This was not the Mount Everest experience where I felt like I was going to spend most of my life and likely die when I reached the summit. This is nothing new. If you've seen a Transformers movie, you've seen all the components of this film. If you remove Michael Bay's chaotic action filmmaking, albeit very skilled, and insensitivity that a lot of those movies had, 
and kept some of the best parts of Bumblebee, but not to their fullest potential, you'd get this movie. It's watered down, but it's enjoyable. I think the biggest problem still is that they've yet to justify the humans being a vital component of these Transformers movies. I think when you look at a lot of movies where they have CG characters, like Guardians 3, as a recent example, a huge portion of that movie is centered on entirely computer-generated characters, and they have the strongest emotional parts. So I think we're at the point where the Uncanny Valley can be walked over, and people will accept something of just entirely generated characters. I mean, look at Pixar. Animation is one thing, but I think we're we're ready to take that next step as far as believability for a fully animated live-action movie. I mean, they did it with the fucking The Lion King 2019. That's quote-unquote live-action. It'd be like that if this movie's got more soul than that. For what it is, it's okay. I would not watch this again. But the parts of it I dug, like the incorporation of the soundtrack, some of the action, the side characters, Transformers actually had personality. If you're a fan of the Maximals, I think you'll be disappointed, but that's just me coming at this as a casual viewer. I'm going to give this a 6 on 10. It is what it is, but I damn sure didn't hate it, and I think it's better than a considerable portion of the films we've gotten prior. Wow, 6 out of 10 from Goudreau. You know, Cabell was big on when he presented his pitch for this. He said eventually he wanted to combine the heart of Bumblebee along with the spectacle of Bay. And what I will say to that is I think it was a nice try. I think there are parts of this that work. I think the Mirage character is enjoyable enough. I enjoyed a lot of the voice acting on display here. But the human characters, it just seemed like such a stretch. And I know what they're going for. They want us to feel for them. But by the end, I was kind of tuned out of all of their stories, honestly. This seemed like more of an arc for Prime. And in that way, I see why he becomes the robot he becomes in the future sequels. He's a bitter dude. He doesn't want anything to do with humans. By the end, well, he knows what they fight for. He knows what they represent. And that's why every time he interacts with them in those future movies, he's more on their side than he's not. I think the battles are fun. I think... If you take kids to this, look, this isn't one of those Bay movies where Bay was big on saying, I know what 17-year-old boys want, and they want to see boobs. They want to see <laughs> glistening female bodies, and Cabal doesn't have that trope. And you know what you, you see in these movies? I, I, I don't think these characters could wear more clothes if they tried, honestly. it's <laughs> it's He's not going for that. He's going for the spectacle, and he's going for the heart. And it's a nice try. I, I have the same exact score as Matt. I don't know if I'm going to go out of my way to rewatch it. I have rewatched Bumblebee a couple times since that was in theaters. This one, if and when they come out with that sequel, maybe I'll put it back on. But it's not something I'm going to rush to do so. So 6 out of 10 for me. Now, Matt, you hinted earlier your feelings on this. Two more movies? Three more movies? This is set up for a trilogy, correct? As far as I know. But that's the plan for every big franchise. It's a trilogy. It's a trilogy. Because we saw how well that worked for The Hobbit, among other things. Yeah. And some other ones that have not come to fruition. Like Fast and Furious, we talked about this most recently. Am I excited? No. But I'm not going to be as steadfast against it, because between this and Bumblebee, I see mild course correction with still sizable room for improvement. Yeah, I think if they improve on the human-robot 
relationship and they do a better job of telling the story of how the humans and the robots will interact and the reasons for those interactions, I think the sequels to this would be better. This one was just seems so forced and so, well, we got this human here and we have this robot here, so let's put them in the scene together. It was really very disappointing to me, and I hope they do better in the sequels and... I would watch the sequels. This one, I would. I don't think I would watch it again unless I wanted to get more context for the sequels because it was just so, like I said, disappointing to me. And I think they could have done a much better job of telling a little bit of a different story and blending the characters together better than they did. So what Jen's saying is more Pete Davidson. Um. Oh no. <laughs> And that does it for Transformers. Matt and I, we are still going through indie with Adam leading up to that big release, which Jen and I are already all set to go to. I'm so excited for that film. And so much more coming up. We have Oppenheimer coming up. We have so many cool things. Flash but comes out next week. Flash. Oh, God, do I have things to say about Flash? Oh, man. Um, we were going to be doing that one as well. So many things coming up. I'm so excited. It's the summer season. It's our peak season. Until Friday when we get to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, podcasters roll out. Thank you, too. Thank you. My name is Optimus Prime. We are autonomous robotic organisms from the planet Cybertron. But you can call us Autobots for short. We've learned Earth's languages through the World Wide Web. We are here looking for the Allspark. And we must find it before Megatron. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast. Exclusively on Percolated Media. Okay, we're all clear. And if you would be so kind please take a moment to give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. The trouble with loyalty to a cause is that the cause will always betray you. It truly helps others to find and discover these podcasts. Autobots, Decepticons, like little children, always fighting. If you want to listen to Matt and Garrett review all the other films in the Transformer franchise, please head over to BingeMedia.net and click the Aftertaste tab. What have you done? And if you like this podcast, please head over to PercolatedMedia.net or search your podcast stream of choice for some of our blockbuster retrospectives such as Avatar, Top Gun, the films of Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio, Pirates of the Caribbean, and many more. It's, uh... Hey. Well... It's just us and them. And you chose them. The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Hell yeah, boom time. We got the gang back together.
edited by Garrett. Damn, I'm good. Voiceovers by Adam. Honor to the end. Men and a Retrospective Podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. Human being, bunch of backstabbing weasels. I'll find your inner compass. Loyalty's but a flower in the winds of fear and temptation. What the hell are you saying? are invading my space. I'm going to have to drop you. Would you get out of here? No, we're talking about giant robots. Garrett's the other day is on the line if you want to make this four people. <laughs> he, turned around and went up, he rolled his eyes and went upstairs. <laughs> Mirage crosses his spark and hopes to die as he convinces <laughs> Noah to go along with their plan. See, you laughed at that line. That was a Pete Davidson line. <laughs> Silence. All right. Yeah, you, have to <laughs> you have the funny when you say it. Oh, okay. Thank you. I thought he came to terms at the end of that movie of this is our home now. Yeah, yeah. I thought so too. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't rewatched that either since the since we watched it for the show, so I could be wrong. It, there's a first for everything, right, Matt? Um, Just no. <laughs> <laughs> it really made me feel old, though, because Cabell has been in interviews and stuff saying, oh, yeah, I love the Beast Wars. Like, that's what I kind of grew up on. I was like, oh, God, here we mm. go. There's always one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we get him. Go ahead, Jen. Oh, no, I was just coming. Okay. <laughs> This happened, and I immediately thought of you. It's just like, oh, God, that's going to hate this. This is like the third time in this franchise they've done it. Yeah. We right? See... This is ahead, probably Jen. why our ozone... Jen, can you start that over? I'm sorry I stepped on you. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Whereas in the first one, he's willing to sacrifice himself by putting the all spark into his chest to save Earth. 
as Matt said, the continuity. Matt, maybe one day we'll do the Saw series, and if you look at the continuity of that, they they had that wound up pretty well. You know, they they, they got they have everything thought out in this. I don't think much is thought out when well, they saw, do these films. Saw does as much backpedaling as that puppet on the tricycle does throughout that series. <laughs> <laughs> like like that that series goes through so many hoops to keep it going mm-hmm. and you almost have to admire it which is the one reason why I would want to do saw is just to elaborate on how flying by the seat of your pants can somehow promote longevity in a franchise yeah we'll get mm-hmm. to it one day who say the only way to stop it is an access code that was split along with the key. But this is the code that Elena has been working on all film. Oh, boy. Man, all these fucking little codes and things they have to do. Matt, there was a preview for Mission Impossible before our screening. They don't do more code breaking in that than they do in this. No, and for the record, that the previews, it's like the coming attractions for our website. Mission Impossible, <laughs> Mission Impossible Indiana Jones, Oppenheimer... All we're showing is previews, and I was like, this is our entire slate, and The Flash, I'm like, this is our entire slate for the summer. We didn't get any of Jones and ours. Fuck. Uh. And we're off with this 30-minute climax, guys. I keep wanting to say boys, but we don't have two boys on this one anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're sleeping upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the electronic version of the fight last fight scene in Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah. 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 I just had something to say, I just forgot it. Um <laughs> we got to So many things coming up. I'm so excited. It's the summer season, so it's our it's our uh prime season. It's our um, Optimus Prime season. Yeah, Optimus Prime <laughs> season. There you go. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Darn it. Um, peak. It's our peaks. 